0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron, and I am excited you are here with me this week. So, if you are like most of my clients that I've been coaching lately, COVID has been a powerful pause for you. And more than likely, you are reevaluating things in your life, reevaluating your priorities, how you spend your time, reevaluating your boundaries. But also reevaluating your career. Are you doing work that really lights your soul on fire? Are you doing work that has meaning and purpose? And many people are coming to the conclusion that now is the right time to make a transition. And it could be any type of transition. It could be an elevation in work, you're advocating for yourself, you see opportunities for you to move up in the organization. It could be that you are choosing to change industries, or it could be that you are looking to completely transition out of corporate and into being an entrepreneur. Whatever that decision is for you, you are probably sitting there wondering, okay, what do I do now? I've made the decision to switch industries. I've made the decision to leave my company. What do I do now? I haven't brushed up my resume in years. I don't even remember the last time that I interviewed. And the last time I did go through an interview process, it was internally at my organization. So that is why I invited my next guest to come on the podcast today to give you some resume tips and some interview tips as you are interviewing for those new roles. But if you were also the person that's listening to this podcast saying, I don't know what my next step is, I need clarity on that and I need help and I need support, then please go check out our Women Leading Powerfully program. You can find it on womenleadingpowerfully.com. And we are enrolling for our fall cohort, which is a 12-week program where you will get all of the resources, the community and the confidence to absolutely decide and put into action your next steps for your next big move. So if that is you, feel free to reach out, go to the website, you can book a a free consultation, and I'm happy to have a conversation with you. But if you are in the place where you know what you want to be doing next, then my next guest, Julia Holian is going to give you so much value in this conversation. I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. Julia is a career strategist and an interview coach who helps business professionals articulate who they are, what they do, the value they bring, and what they want. And most importantly, she and her team help you do that with confidence. So I am thrilled to have her on the show. She is such an expert in this area. She gives so much value during the conversation that we had. So grab your notebooks and get ready to take some notes. Julia is one of those people that I just met about three weeks ago, and I've already sent her a couple of clients of mine, and she's just so easy to connect with. She is such a great person, and I'm so thrilled that I have her in my my network, that I have her as a resource, and I am sure that you are going to be thrilled with what you hear today. Please connect with Julia either via LinkedIn or her website. Her information is in the show notes. And without further ado, let's dive into my conversation with Julia Holian. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. Julia, welcome to the show. I'm so excited for this conversation. I think it's going to be so valuable for my listeners. So thank you for taking the time to be here today. Oh, I wouldn't want to be anyplace else. Thanks for having me today. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, would love for you just to dive in. And share with my listeners a little bit about yourself and your career history. Oh, thank you. So I have been a career coach officially for six
1: years. I started my practice six years ago. And what I do is I work with people who are trying to advance their career. And a lot of that is through confidence and and interviewing and, and developing those skills. But where I got the skills to do that kind of training and coaching is I spent over 20 years in executive recruiting. So I was a finance recruiter in the Bay Area. I placed CFOs, controllers, VPs of finance in tech, manufacturing, and nonprofit organizations. And what I learned in that was what companies are looking for and how sometimes what they put even in the job description isn't exactly how they hire and and people need to know that. So I I got really um, savvy about how somebody shows up for the interview and what companies are looking for and and how to kind of make make that match. At the same time, I had been um, leading teams, I had grown recruiting firms. My last corporate uh, role was in actually a CPA firm, a very, very fast-growing entrepreneurial CPA firm that wanted to bring in an arm into their consulting group that would place those high-level finance executives for their clients. And so I developed basically a practice within a practice within a company, and and it was fantastic. Um, But through there, I went through the same transition, I think, that a lot of my clients go through, which is looking at what I'm doing and saying, is this what I want to do for the next 20 years? And so we can talk about that probably later, but making that shift from you know, am I doing what I want to do today? Is this what I want to do in the future? And from that sort of exploration, I realized that I wanted to take that entrepreneurial spirit and create my own company that would help others have the career that they always wanted to have. So that's mm-hmm. how I launched that.
0: I I love that story. And I, I love that you have not only your own company now, but I love that you have the background And the expertise to really know, I mean, here you are doing executive placement, and then, and then transitioning to helping people, you know, interview and prepare for that career transition. You know, your experience that that blended experience is so powerful. And it really speaks to the results that you get for your clients, Julia. So I'm so glad to have the expert on the show today, uh, really sharing your your wisdom and your expertise. So thank you so much. You know, you talked about your own career transition around this idea, which I think so many people are having right now. You know, COVID has been a powerful pause. I've talked about it on the podcast so many times. And people are really reevaluating Am I doing work that is meaningful, is purposeful, is, you know, lighting my soul on fire? And so it's one thing to know that and to realize it. It's a whole other thing. And I have my story, too, around, you know, taking the leap, making that transition. And so how did you make that transition? Because I think so many people that are listening today are wanting to make that transition, but don't quite know how to do it. And so what gave you the courage and maybe any advice you could give for those listeners that are looking to make that kind of transition?
1: Absolutely. This is this is actually a story I, I like to tell because I think it's very relatable. So um, what I would share is I was about four years into that last corporate role. And honestly, I was on the partner track. I was making great money. I could kind of do whatever I wanted. Um, I had a great team. I mean, all the success signs were out there, right? And yet I'm driving home every day going, I just don't feel it anymore. I don't know what it is that I want to do. So I did this exercise for myself that I have almost all my clients do as well. If they are trying to figure out what it is that they want to do. And I basically took a sheet. Um, if you all know what a T-sheet is, since I work in kind of the accounting world, it's sort of like you got your left and your right. And on the left side, I spent a week and I said, what is it that I'm gravitating to all day long? What do I love to do? What do I look forward to? What do I get excited about? Where do I find myself going down a rabbit hole that I really shouldn't be going down anymore because I need to let it go, but I'm just so into it. I can't, can't step away. Sure. And then on the right side, it was, what do I, what do I avoid? what do I dread? What do I procrastinate on? What, you know, what, what makes me start to sweat, whatever it might be. (laughs) And, and, and just not try to finesse it, not try to write cleanly, but put those two things down. And I started finding um, that I loved what, what I really loved was every time I got on the phone with somebody who was going into an interview and was trying to figure out How am I going to be successful? What's working for me and what's not working? And my big epiphany happened one night. I was still at the office. It was like 745 at night. I'd already texted my husband like three times and said, I swear I'm coming home. I swear I'm coming home (laughs) and nowhere near coming home. And and I was on a phone with a director of revenue and Realizing that I was so in the zone, loving helping him figure out what was working and what wasn't. I could ask him questions that I would normally ask if I was hiring somebody and listen to his question, listen to his answer to my questions, and be able to give him immediate feedback. Okay, this is what I'm hearing. I know this is what you're trying to say, but this is what I'm hearing. And so let's talk about how we can finesse that, move that around, switch that up. And we were on the phone for about an hour and a half and just gave him so many different uh, ways of thinking, how do I communicate? What else could he be doing on his resume? How is he looking at the job description that he was applying for? So in pulling all of that together, I just said, this is what I want to do. Like I drove home that night on this absolute high. I don't think I remember anything about the freeway because (laughs) I was loving it. And I said, how do I monetize this? How do I do this more? And I had to, of course, think of what that was, but I have my clients do the same type of thing of going through that exercise of what do I gravitate towards and what do I avoid? Because there's so many hidden clues in all of that about what you should be doing, what you want to do, and where you think you're going to add value. And until you know those things, you're probably not going to be able to answer the question of what's the right role for me.
0: Yeah. So, Julia, thank you for sharing that story. You know what i what I hear when you're sharing that story is that you were in flow. Yeah. You know, we t- we talk about flow, and we talk about when we get lost and and time seems to escape us because we are so energized and so excited about what we're doing. So I, I love that you share that, and I love that you intentionally chose to focus in on that and say, you know, here's something that I love doing. I loved being in that moment in that space serving this person and and this gentleman and helping him succeed in this interview. And how can I how can I do more of that? And, you know, my story is, I wish I would have had someone a coach or a career strategist like yourself, helping me become more intentional and conscious of those things because they're all playing out right now. I mean, I'm doing exactly what I love. You're doing exactly what you love. For me, I just wasn't as intentional about it and I wasn't as conscious about it and I wish I would have been much earlier in my career. I spent 27 years kind of, you know, doing what you were doing on the way home like, "Hey, I'm I have a good career on paper. I check all the boxes." You know, I have all the benefits, I have the title, I have all these things, but I'm still not super fulfilled. Yeah. I'm not super depthfully happy. You know, my soul isn't on I know, I don't jump out of the bed every morning. And I can't wait to get to work. And now my work doesn't even feel like work. Right. I mean, I get to do this. Right. I mean, this is I mean, how how amazing is this? I love having conversations with people. I have an insatiable curiosity. And I get to I get to do this every day. And I think also, you know, in addition to making the tea list, which I love, I think that's great advice for my listeners. I think also the way you share about what you do you know, do you get to do something or do you have to do something? And I think that even that nuance is, you know, what do I get to do every day? And what do I have to do? And again, kind of going back, so you've made this list, you realize that you need to monetize it. And at that point, for a lot of people, and I'm sure you experience this in your practice with your clients as well, the fear kicks in. Okay, I want to make the leap. Now I'm conscious about it. How do you how do you push the fear back? And how do you move forward making sometimes a significant change? For some people, it's, you know, maybe changing a role, maybe it's changing an industry, or it's changing from corporate to entrepreneurship. And each of those have different fear components. Mm-hmm. Um, But how did you know, how did you kind of get past the fear? Or was there fear there for you?
1: Uh, I don't think that I really felt fear. I've always been entrepreneurial. I, um, I believe in myself pretty, pretty much. I don't think that from an, not from an arrogant standpoint, but I just sort of believe if I work really hard at something and I am diligent and conscientious and I use the resources around me that I'll figure out how to make it happen. If I were to say anything was the, the hurdle to overcome it was telling my husband that I was gonna leave my major six-figure job and start out <laughs> on my own. And oh, by the way, I probably won't make a red cent for the first year or two. And are you okay with that, honey? And getting him on board was was um, it wasn't a Herculean feat, but it it did take some serious conversations. Sure. But I think when when I was looking at what I wanted to do, again, that t sheet really helped to so to really get. Once I knew, I'm like, this is what I want to do. I want to help people. I have the knowledge. I have the skills. And by the way, that director of revenue got the next job that he was interviewing for. Oh, so good, good. I, I have a you know, have pretty good success you know success rate or track rate on that. And I, I believe that that's what I wanted to do. I just had to figure out how how was I going to go about doing it. And so one of the things that I I did is I found all the people that I knew, I was already kind of a natural networker. I've always been into networking. And I started having coffee and lunch meetings with everybody I could think of who I thought would give me some free advice. So I met with bankers and attorneys and insurance professionals and marketing people and salespeople and just really picked their brain on what they saw in the market and how they do things. And I think that gave me a comfort zone because it wasn't just Doing the work itself, I had to build a company. And it's, I think a lot of people who leave their corporate jobs to go be an entrepreneur think about the work that they're going to do and don't always think about, I need to run a business. They get excited about the delivery of what they're going to do. But honestly, if you're going to become an entrepreneur, and I know many of you know your. Your clients are people who are thinking, do I stay in corporate or do I take the entrepreneur route? The thing about the entrepreneur route is that you've got to be comfortable in sales and building a business, which I am. Fortunately, I came from that. But I wanted to talk to all of these other experts about all of these little tiny things that I didn't necessarily know. And they honestly, they became like my my little advisory board. I love that. And I recommend anybody... That they get an advisory board. Even honestly, if you're looking to stay in corporate, find your posse, find your people who are going to be your advisory board. I don't care if you go have, you know, wine and cheese with them once a month, but let them be your sounding board. Um, obviously, I'm a firm believer in hiring coaches, but sometimes you also need to have people with different skill sets and experiences who you can kind of bounce ideas off of and feel like you are um, you know, gaining insights and information to take you, you know, into whatever it is that you want to do.
0: Yeah. No, I I love that you shared the steps that you took to to make that transition. And I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I think talking to people is a great first step. And I completely agree with you around, you know, I think I think I probably stepped a little more naively into, hey, I want to be a coach. And I think I'm just going to be coaching eight hours a day. But there is this whole other part of it running the business you know, when I first started, I was the salesperson, which was fine. I did 27 years in sales. I was the marketer, I was the accountant, I was the graphic designer, I was the website builder, you know, all of those things. Eventually, now, my business partner and I have a team, which is great. We have people doing those things. We have a copywriter, we have a graphic designer, we have, we have a virtual assistant, and we have that. But when we first started, we didn't. And, you know, there's the whole business of running a coaching business. And um, that. I I will say I learned more in that first year than I probably did in business for 27 years, just around running a business. Another and question. yeah, so <laughs> it was a big, it was a big learning curve. And so I love that you are sharing that because I, I don't think that people always take into consideration, you know, that learning curve when they're wanting to jump from corporate to entrepreneurship. Um. So let's kind of talk about, let's shift a little bit and talk about the job market today. There are so many challenges from an employer perspective around keeping and retaining talent. People, as I mentioned earlier, you know, COVID has been a powerful pause for people to reevaluate, you know, am I happy? Do I want to stay? Does this company meet my, align with my personal values and how I want to move forward? And a lot of people are making shifts and I think for the first time in many years. I think I read an article. It said forty years. It's it's really uh, a buyer's market for um, for talent. And so, if you are thinking about shifting jobs, I mean, employers are doing whatever they can do to to lure candidates, and companies are short-staffed. And so, you know, what I would love to hear just any comments you have um, around kind of the job market and what you're seeing at those, you know, senior manager and executive levels?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting market right now. Um, and it's really, it's so bifurcated, the candidate experience versus the the company experience. And so they're kind of, um, I can kind of talk about both of them, but they kind of have their own, own individual story. I think for companies, they're really struggling right now, as you said, to, to retain people, to retain the right people. And I, I think it's a little to be honest, on their side, it's kind of exhausting because those executives who are making these decisions and making the hiring decisions, um, they're they're scrambling too. And I think we have to be a little compassionate about the people who are in companies trying to hold it all together. There seems to be, I, I hear and read kind of a lot of talk about, you know, companies aren't understanding or leaders aren't really listening. And I'm like, oh no, they're listening, but they are so overwhelmed today in a way that they never were in the past, because not only are they trying to do their jobs, but they are trying to keep their people. And and obviously some are better at it than others. The one thing I think companies I'm seeing are kind of making a mistake with is how they are running their interview process. So I can probably sit on a, stand on a soapbox about this for a while, and I won't go too far down the rabbit hole. But, you know, when I started in recruiting back in um, the 90s, most people would interview with a company and meet with maybe four or five people and a decision was made. And nowadays, the interview process is often meeting eight to 15 people. And, and when you're an executive, what also gets added on to that is doing a presentation or a case study, both of which require um, a PowerPoint and thinking of what your speech is going to be and knowing who your audience is and possibly having handouts. And it's interesting, a couple of weeks ago, I was on um, a group call And there was an HR person and she said, oh, yeah, we have our we have our candidates do that, too. And we know it's going to take them a couple of hours to put that together. And I had to stop her. I said, I don't know if you're aware of this, but those candidates aren't taking two hours. They're taking anywhere from like six to 10 hours to put that together, because so much is on the line when you are putting together a presentation or a case study for a job interview. Sure. And when they're already working, so that's so candidates are kind of getting exhausted in that way. And I wish that companies would maybe reevaluate some of that process because I think that's why people are dropping out of the process for them. From the candidate standpoint, yes, it's a candidate's market and they can actually ask for a lot more. But what they're really looking for today, and I'm a firm believer in this, is that they have to be looking for the right people that they want to be a part of. It's actually one of the big rules that I tell all of my clients, don't focus on the title or the job description or the money before you think of who you're going to be working with. Because the reason why people leave companies is because of the people. And I'll give a shout out. You had a great podcast with Amanda Scott. So anybody who's listening to this, go listen to that podcast too, um, because she talks a lot about this and it's great information. So kudos to her um, and to you. But the, um, you know, people leave companies because of people. And I think people should join companies because of people. And there's a lot to be gleaned in the interview process to understand who will I be working with? Are these the people that I want to be side by side with? Am I okay being awake at, you know, sometimes 10 o'clock at night solving a problem or, you know, working through something? And uh, are these the people that I feel like we are on the same page? We share the same values. And um, I've got their back. They have my back. We don't always have to agree, but we'll always be supportive. And that's the thing that people need to be looking at. And I think candidates are looking at that more strongly now. And that's why so much change is happening.
0: Julia, do you have a do you have any advice for candidates on how to tease that out? Because you know, typically the interview process is like the dating process, right? Everyone has their best, you know, their best face on. And, and um, so I'm curious to know if you have any advice on how do you go through the interview process as a candidate and find out uh, truly about the people, about the values, about the culture, when sometimes that can be, it can be hard to, to identify in the interview process.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So Let me just say, it it all starts with knowing yourself first. You can't really glean anything out of anybody else until you know what you're trying to align with. Um, I'm a Gallup certified strengths coach. I use with most of my clients the, the Clifton Strengths Assessment and the guides in there to help somebody understand who they are. And there's some tools that we use in that to help craft questions that they might ask in the interview to understand how people communicate, how they work through problems, and and how decisions are made or how work is sort of disseminated. So um, give you a couple of examples of questions that I might have my clients use. And by the way, a lot of times I look at questions that they can ask of multiple people, not just a single question. But if you can ask multiple people, sometimes you start to see if they're all in the, if, if everybody you ask is sort of thinking the same way. Um, but one, you know, I, I'm not a fan of the question, you know, what's your leadership style? What I am a fan of is questions that are more like, tell me what you believe everybody on the team should value and how you make sure that that is a part of the
0: team dynamics. Okay. That is a fabulous question. That is That is that that is worth the entire podcast episode. <laughs> I, I, if everyone can just listen to that question. I mean, literally, that's the, that is a great question. Thank you. And I think really gets at the heart of what what I was, you know, trying to, to get to. Exactly.
1: Another question I would say, I, I personally have always looked for people who are natural mentors, Uh, not people who say I'll be part of a mentoring program. And in that case I will be a mentor, but I think people who are natural mentors are, are magnets for people who, who want that and just can't help themselves, but give. And that's what a mentor really is. And One of the questions that I used to ask when I was going to hire somebody would be, tell me about three people that you've mentored and what they would tell me they learned from you. Mm,
0: That's
1: a great question. And I have a lot of my clients take that even into their um, interview process, because what I found is that natural mentors can, can, they can't just come up with three people. They could probably come up with six people that they, that they mentor. Those names come fast and furious and they know exactly what the impact was. If somebody pauses and they have to think about it, they're probably not a natural mentor. If they answer in a general way that says, well, I mentor people all the time and this is how I go about it, they're not a natural mentor. So you may or may not need a natural mentor, but if you are looking for that, if you are looking for that kind of experience with the people that you work with or work for, that's the type of way you would want to frame that question so that you, you learn what their style is, and, and, you know, how they impact the people around them.
0: Sure. Yeah, I, I think those are great questions. So thank you for thank you for sharing those. Um, Another question with regard to preparing for interviews, you know, obviously, the first step before you get to the interview is the resume. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I, I was with one company for 27 years, I think when you're, I think a lot of people that are in senior manager and executive positions are, you know, in their 40s, typically 40s, 50s, 60s, um, and maybe have been at companies for a longer period of time, maybe haven't updated their resumes in years, and maybe are doing that for the first time. Um, Two questions here. One is, would love to hear about your services because we didn't really jump into that specifically. We jumped into your expertise, but would love to hear how you help people. And then specifically around resumes, what can you share with people around what they need to kind of be aware of just from a general sense around their, updating their resume nowadays?
1: Sure, sure. So I have a team of people who write resumes, LinkedIn profiles, uh, cover letters, consulting bios, anything that is sort of that written asset. And let me just share that, Um, especially for somebody like you, who's with a company for a long time. And we have so many people that we work with who are like that saying, you know, I didn't really need a resume for a long, long time. I sort of grew. Yeah. I, I went up the ladder here or I've always been able to find my next job through my network and I've never really needed a resume. And one of the biggest shifts that we've seen in resumes in the last maybe 10 years is that prior to that, there were two styles. There was the um, functional resume and there was the chronological or reverse chronological resume. And what I see a lot of people who have not needed a resume for a long, long time use is that, that chronological resume where it's just their name and contact information and then it goes right into the, the name of the company they worked for, their title, and then a whole bunch of bullets. And those bullets are all basically look like the job description. So today, the way resumes are crafted is that it's almost like a hybrid of the functional and the reverse chronological. Meaning, the functional used to focus on areas of skills and experience, but not necessarily in that chronological order, but more in a in that functional, like what their leadership skills and their business acumen or their their sales and their finance. And so today, a resumes really start with um, you know. Above, or I'm sorry, below their contact information and above their chronological experience, we have what's called a branding section. It is not a summary section. So for anybody who's listening to this and thinks that's your summary, no, and I'm gonna tell you why. It's a branding section. This is the section that says, here are the key skills that I'm gonna take forward into my next job. This is what I want you to see and read and understand. I'm not going to summarize my prior experience, but I'm going to take elements of my prior experience and I'm going to put them in here to showcase what those skills are that I that, that make me stand out and make me great at what I do. And there's a number of different styles of, of how somebody can do this, but it's really geared for aligning yourself for the job that you want going forward. And I think this is critical because without that, what happens is when somebody looks at a resume and they don't have this branding section. They jump to title, they jump to dates, they look at the company. And then as they're looking at bullets, they're just looking for what they want. And probably you've done some things in your prior jobs where you're like, I I would I would rather, you know, walk on a bit of nails than do that again. <laughs> and yet right. it's in there because it was essential to that job, but it's sure. not what you want to take going forward. So this branding section is almost like says you don't read anything else about me, read this. This is what qualifies me. So that's number one is that people need to know that new style. Um, Two pages. If you have over two pages, you will lose everybody's interest. And oftentimes those resumes just get kind of thrown in the trash can, quite frankly, because they feel like if you can't summarize your experience in two pages, then you're going to talk way too long in the interview. Sure. So
0: sure. Yeah. And so I know that the kind of rule of thumb years ago was one page. And so now is our, are two pages acceptable now?
1: Absolutely. And especially for those people who are more experienced, it's right. pretty hard, quite frankly, for a VP to put everything into one page and, and you Agreed. can, but let me just give you sort of a, a, a caveat to that, um, that I think is, is interesting is we have LinkedIn now. We didn't have LinkedIn, you know, 20 years ago. Well, we did 20 years ago, but it kind of barely, um, right. but LinkedIn is so prevalent now. One of the things I um, highly recommend is that when people have their resume, they do not copy and paste their resume into LinkedIn. LinkedIn has such a different style and tone to it. You can use pronouns and language that has energy and creativity, and you can do storytelling in a way that you can't on your resume, so let them compliment each other, but let them stand on their own, speak for themselves and, and add, a, like create a more well-rounded picture of you than to copy and paste it in. And then basically they just look like, you know, carbon copies.
0: Yeah, no, I love that advice. And that's what your team does. And which yes. I think is so valuable to my listeners. If they are thinking about making a job transition, You know, go to Julia. (laughs) I'm just going to tell you, I've already sent i've sent clients to you, and you have a very specific process that you follow, which um, I absolutely love, and it really helps. It helps people. You know, use my myself as an example. A client I sent to you has been in an industry for years, Mm -hmm. and you know, we know what we do every day. I know what I did every day for 27 years. I know my career path. but And so much of it I realize now as an entrepreneur, I took for granted just that, that inherent knowledge and wisdom that I gained. And you and your team really have this process where you glean that out of people and you really extract that and help them write the LinkedIn profile, write the resume, and it is worth every penny for people to, to hire you and to um, have you really on their team. And then also helping prep people for those interview questions, which have changed from 15 years ago. And, you know, even just the questions that you shared as a candidate asking, you know, just walking in prepared with those and, and also knowing how to ask answer the questions that are asked of you is so powerful and so with regard to the interview process we'd like to shift there is how should senior leaders and executives prepare themselves for the interview process do you have any you know a couple tips there that you could share
1: oh absolutely I could talk about this for a couple of hours so I'll try <laughs> not to um let me give one so, sort of one of the the best pieces of or um, nuggets of information that I think will answer that question, but also give some real information to anybody who's listening. When companies hire, there's kind of a pecking order that they hire in. It's not necessarily a conscious pecking order, but there's a pecking order and it starts with culture. When companies hire the first thing that they're looking for, whether they are conscious of it or not, they're looking for culture. And I break this down to what are called my four C's. They are communication, communication, collaboration, connection, and curiosity. They're looking for that. How do you communicate? Do we see you collaborating with the other people on the team? Are you and I able to make a connection? And do you seem curious? Are you showing curiosity? So I want everybody who goes into an interview thinking of those four C's because that first impression, the way they connect with that person and the way that person is able to distinguish will this person communicate and collaborate and work with the rest of us here is the is like the deal maker or the deal breaker. Absolutely. The second thing that they hire on, because there's three levels here, the first is being that culture, which is the four C's. The next is aptitude. And that's the ability to do the job, but doesn't necessarily mean that you've done it. So, because experience is number three. And so I tell my clients that, A lot of times people go into the interview and there's no question. You have to prepare for your questions. I've got, I have eight pages of interview questions that we use as kind of like guides for preparing for anything that could come your way. Sure. And so you need to focus on like what you've done in the past. You need to know those stories, but you have to be able to utilize those stories to show your aptitude for how you would handle the situation in that particular company or in that particular role. And more people hire or more companies hire based on aptitude than actual experience. And I know this for a fact because in all my years of recruiting, I might present three or four candidates for a role. One would very often check every single box on that job description and somebody else would only check maybe 50 to 60% of it. But I knew that they were going to be the right connection. They were going to be that right fit. And that they were going to have the aptitude. And I'll tell you, it was like, you know, 75% of the time, it was that other person that got the job. It was not the one who necessarily checked everything on the box. So sometimes candidates get confused. Like, I can do this job. I check everything. I'm like, it's not about checking everything. It's about culture and aptitude. Culture Mm. and aptitude come before experience.
0: So I love that you shared that because it it segues into my next question, which, you know, I, 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 I help people through career transitions and what I see and what I hear specifically from my female clients is I want to go for XYZ role, senior leadership, executive role, but I only have 60% of the requirements. I don't check all the boxes. And I see this more so with women than men. Mm-hmm. It's been proven. There's a, a the confidence code book, which is fabulous. I recommend it to all of my clients and all of my listeners. And, you know, they talk about that as well in the in the in the book around, you know, women feel like they have to be completely qualified, a hundred percent qualified, or even overqualified before they go for those next roles. So do you have any thoughts or insights you want to share specifically for either women or diverse candidates through the interview process?
1: You are spot on. That that <laughs> a lot of women struggle with this. And let me just point out that one of the things that we focus a, a lot um, or what I focus on a lot with, with my female clients in particular is how they handle questions around things that maybe they don't feel like they know a lot of. So uh, oftentimes the natural inclination for somebody who for, for a female who hasn't done something is to say, start out with, I haven't done that. That's the first thing that comes out of their mouth when they get asked about it. And so that's, the, that's, that's what sort of sets the tone for the rest of that answer. And what we focus on is because we prepare so much for interviews. We, we, I know what they're going to ask in an interview. I can go through a person's resume. I can go through the job description. I've done this many times. Where I'm like, they're going to ask, I'll bet these 15 questions are going to get asked. And, and I'll tell you, 12 to 13 of those 15 questions absolutely will get asked. Sure. And so when we are talking about that, it's preparing and saying, okay, we don't want you to lead with what you don't know. You can start out by saying something like, I've done that in the past and this was my role in when I was doing that. So maybe it wasn't complete. Maybe you didn't own it, but start out with what you did do in that. And then where's that curiosity? Where is the aptitude? what other skills would you be bringing in to still be able to do that because again aptitude's number 2 with yeah. that num- but that number 1 is really in those those you know four c's which maybe i could actually add a fifth which is confidence believe and i don't mean confidence in terms of ego or arrogance it's belief in yourself and advocating for yourself is is my more def- my
0: definition of
1: of confidence
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really owning your strengths. Mm -hmm. And so I love that you share that. Thank you, Julia. Once people are in the interview process, what are I I know you've given some good advice about what to do? What are maybe one or two mistakes that you see people making in the interview process? I know you just talked about, you know, with women specifically, saying I haven't done that. But any kind of other general tips you have for people going through the interview process, um, maybe one or two mistakes that they make? during that process?
1: Well, I would say probably mistake number one is that they, they don't listen to the question. They're so in their head about what's happening in the interview that they didn't actually listen to the question and answer it. And so that would be number one. Number two would be that they probably talk too long if they, they don't have their, their communication points pulled together. And then the last one, and I think this is a really critical one, is when you are interviewing, you always want to be thinking of the company. And a lot of people focus on themselves and what they've done. But everything that you should be asking, every answer that you should be giving, should be keeping in mind, how is this relevant to them? Because what they're trying to do on the other side is visualize, picture you in their company and so it's important for you to keep that in mind what are their pain points who are you know what risks do they have in their business you know what happens inside that company that you would be a part of that you need to know and so if you're crafting your answers or or even through the questions that you ask which i think can be powerful aligning them with what's real to that company is
0: essential that's that's perfect and and So true, kind of, you know, making it about them instead of you, while you're talking about yourself, making sure that they are included in that picture and and that they can, you're painting a picture through your storytelling of essentially you in that organization. And so I love that advice. That's great. Would just love to share, if you could just share a little bit about, you know, how does Holy and Associates help people prepare for this entire process?
1: Yeah, so we we basically have two sides of our business. and the one side is, is coaching, and coaching can mean a lot of different things for different people. It could be helping me figure out what it is that I want to do next. It could be interview coaching. It could be helping me learn to advocate for myself inside my own company. So in coaching, I use the the Gallup's um, strengths, you know, Clifton strengths to help our clients. But you know, as you know, coaching is a lot about asking empowering questions and helping people think through what is true to them because we all actually have our own answers. We just need to dig deep to figure out what they are. And so a a lot of coaching is talking and and asking those questions and listening and giving some insights and feedback to help somebody be their authentic selves. The other side of our business is that writing side, which is helping people with their resumes and and their LinkedIn profiles and so on. One of the things that we do that's unique in that is that our style is to interview people to actually write their resume. A lot of resume writers give out a 10 page questionnaire that somebody has to fill out and spend a lot of time. And they're always trying to wordsmith it. And we have found that it is a much um, more productive process for us. And it saves everybody time if we actually interview and ask the questions about what you've done in your career and, 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 By asking that initial question and hearing the answer and then being able to ask more questions, we can craft that story. We can paint that picture. We can write those bullets. We can craft the the content for your resume. And we have a deeper understanding. So you know, one of the things that I think is kind of fun in this whole process is that even if you aren't using the coaching side of our business and you're just working with somebody to write your resume or LinkedIn you get clarity about how you want to interview and what you want to say by going through the process of writing the resume. So it's a very collaborative process.
0: I love that. Thank you for sharing. Um, any last words of wisdom that you have for my listeners before we close out our conversation today?
1: Well, I would say the number one thing that people should remember is that 85% of the best jobs come through your network. And networking doesn't mean that you have to be hustling it all the time, but keep in touch with the people that you've worked with before. Ask questions, let people know what you're thinking of doing. And when you get that next job, don't take your foot off the gas when it comes to networking, because especially right now, even though we hear about all these jobs being posted and all the hiring that's taking place a lot of the hiring is taking place through people's networks, especially the higher you go up the org chart, the network is ab- absolutely essential. But a lot of people lose focus on that when they get into the job. And then that's where they come to me. And I have to coach them through how to rebuild and nurture and use that network. And if you make it a, uh, a daily or a, re- sort of a weekly sort of thought for yourself... Um, how am I using my network? What am I doing for them? How can they help me? How can we create this community? They're going to find that any future job changes or transitions that they might go through are so much easier because the network is their fuel and their fire and their foundation.
0: Yes. I think that is very sage advice, Julia. And I'm grateful that you're in my network. I'm grateful that we've connected Um, Like I said, I am so happy to send clients your way who are looking to, you know, make that transition and looking to, you know, update their LinkedIn profiles and and their resumes and prepare for those, those interviews, no matter what level. I know that you, one of your associates actually has a workshop that's coming up around helping college students. And, you know, people that have been in the job market, you know, either just graduating or within eight years. So do you want to share a little bit about that?
1: Yes, thank you. So my colleague, Liz Helton, is just a rock star. And she has been working for me for I think four and a half, almost five years now. And she has crafted a whole curriculum to work with college students and recent grads. And how they go out to the market, because how they go out to the market is different than an executive. Their job exactly. search is is different. And the way they're going to interview, they don't necessarily have all of the same um, corporate functional skills to maybe or, or experience to talk about. How do you talk about the class that you took? And how that will uh, help you get that next job or help you be successful in that next role. So every two months, she runs a sort of a boot camp style workshop. The next one is starting on May 10th. She's got another one in July and another one in in September. But what these are, they're called um, Career Launch Accelerator, and it's six meetings, six Zoom meetings, and it's it's a it's a group setting, and it's walking through how do you look for that next job. How do you interview? What do you need to have on your resume? How do you align your LinkedIn profile? How do you advocate for yourself? How do you negotiate compensation? How do you onboard yourself in that next role? And then she offers um, sort of free office hours as well for anybody who just wants to pop in and ask any question that they would want.
0: That's so valuable. My my daughter graduated early. She graduated in December. She's walking in a couple of weeks. And I have sent all of that information to her friends because many of them are just, you know, getting prepared for that job market right now. So Julia, appreciate you being here. Appreciate you sharing your wisdom. And, you know, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. And if I can weave in just one more thing. Of course. And that is on the first Friday of every month. We have a zoom call. That's just asked Julia. Anybody can come to it. You just have to go to the website at www.polianassociates.com and go there and you can sign up for it. But the first Friday of every month, we have a different topic that we always present. And, and after that you can ask absolutely anything I'm there. My team is there. You can ask anything of us as coaches for your resumes, whatever it may be. And it's free. And you could be anywhere in the world. So nine o'clock Pacific
0: time, first Friday of every month. I love that. Thank you for mentioning that. I will have your website in the show notes so people can um, you know find you, connect with you on LinkedIn, and I will have all of that in the show notes for everyone. So again, Julie, this has been such a value add for my listeners. Thank you for sharing all of your wisdom again. I appreciate you taking the time and have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now.